Hey, everybody. Welcome. Happy Sunday. Please stand and worship with us. We come with it. 
morning, church. You know, I love that song, and I mentioned this in the first service, but I just want to mention again. Hosanna. You know, a lot of times people think that that word is just a, it's a declaration of praise, like hallelujah. But Hosanna um, actually comes from the Hebrew words Yasha, which means deliverer, and Anna, which means um, to beg. And so in a real sense, when those two words come together, you get the word Hosanna, and it, it, it actually means, I beg you to save us, or come and deliver us. And in Psalms 118, there's a declaration that the psalmist makes in Psalms 118.25 when he says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. And there, in a real sense, that was fulfill, the fulfillment, the very beginning of that salvation was seen as Jesus rode in on the donkey during the week of the Passover. In the, in the book of Matthew, we hear that all the people started to proclaim Hosanna. Hosanna, the son of David, is here. Because they were saying the Savior has come. He's riding into town. And even in Matthew 21, when the, when the children are coming around Jesus, they're, they're saying, Hosanna, the son of David. And all the, te- the teachers are saying, do you hear what the children are saying? And Jesus says, yes, I do. And little did they know, but he knew very well that in less than a week that he would give his life, that he would pay the price for humanity's sin so that we could be saved, we could be redeemed from not only the curse of sin, but death itself. And now death doesn't even have a hold on those who believe. And so when we proclaim Hosanna in the highest, we're talking about salvation from the highest of kings, from the highest of realms. You know, a lot of us, we we bow before saviors and these things in this world all the time and we say i want to be delivered save me give me salvation or give me rest in this area and jesus says rest is found alone in me i am the one who's come to save and that's an amazing thing to remember as we stand as a body and in declaration that we worship the king of eternity who has come to save a people for himself and the job has been finished it is done And on that note, tonight, I want to invite you all to come back. At 5 p.m., we're going to be doing our celebration night. As a church, we do our baptisms and our baby dedications on a Sunday night where we can just come together as a a family, eat dinner together. There's going to be a potluck if you want to bring some food. You're more than welcome to, or you can just come and eat ours. And we're just going to worship together. We're going to pray over some kids and declare that we will stand with these families as they raise their little ones in the Lord, and we're going to baptize some people, and it's going to be awesome. And actually, my oldest son is going to be baptized tonight, so that's awesome. Um, So if you guys want to come back at 5 for some food, for some worship, for some celebration in in the public declaration of faith, and then just being able to pray over families, we'd love to have you come. One thing I wanted to note today is that today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Um, and we have an awesome thing out in the lobby. Hold on a second. One of the ladies in our congregation, she bought a hundred of these calendars and she's donated them to us. This is the Voice of Martyrs calendar for the year of 2017. And on every single day of the month, there's a prayer for a different people group around the world um, through the entire year. Voice of the Monitors is in 68 countries where the church is being heavily persecuted 
Um, so this is an awesome tool that we can use to remind ourselves not only on the International Day of Prayer, but every day to remind ourselves that there's people around this world who are living for the proclamation that Hosanna, the Lord has come and he saved them, but they're still living in this present darkness. There's a war going on in this earth. And the people of God need to be praying for the church, not only in this valley, but worldwide. So these are free. Take one of these resources when you leave uh, today. They're out, out there on the resource table. There's also information, some flyers you can get to learn more about this day um, and how we can be praying. And also on our Facebook page, we're going to be posting a video that Voice of Mars put out for this International Day of Prayer. And they're highlighting a family, specifically in Afghanistan, a wife who lost her husband and two children uh, because they proclaim the gospel. And she's still living to this day to try to raise the name of Jesus high um, in, the, in the midst of much persecution. And what an incredible thing to know that when we meet this God, this one who has come to save us from the highest, he's come to save us, that he is an unshakable rock. That no matter what happens to us on this earth, that we have a foundation to stand on. And he will deliver us to himself in the end. In the end, we will be with the Lord forever. That's the whole point. So, um, one other thing I wanted to mention. uh, In your bulletins, you have a communication card. You've also been given a pen. We give you a pen so you can fill that out. On the back, if you have filled one out a hundred times, prayer requests are on the back. There can never be enough things that we can help pray for. So if, if you write them out, we have a team of people that would love to be able to pray for you this week. If you're a first or second time guest, please fill that out so we can send you um, a gift and just connect with you. The best way that you can get connected to this church, as weird as it sounds, is through that communication card because um, it gives us an opportunity to know you better as we get in contact with you later on in the week. And then we're able to give you resources as well to help plug you into what we're doing here as a body. So use that pen. It's uh, there for a purpose. Write some notes out as Floyd brings the word. And then if you want to recycle it after the service, we'd love that as well. There's bins in the back that you can give us back the pen so we can use it next week. If you need a pen, take it. We don't care. But let's pray for the persecuted church and let's pray for our kids as they go to kids' church. What a contrast to know that we are free to bring our kids to a room to learn about the grace and the glory of Jesus. And there are kids all around this earth that are hiding away just to be able to read the word. We are so blessed. We are so blessed in this valley. God, I thank you, Lord, as we proclaim Hosanna, as we proclaim your name, that we stand on the assurance and the testimony of the fact that you have come to redeem for yourself a people. Lord, as as a psalmist said, so many years ago, and what was seen so clearly as you came into town the week of the Passover, Lord, that Hosanna, the Savior, has come. And Lord, in this valley, in this church, we stand on the fact that we need redemption. We need a Savior in every sense of the term. God, in our, in our, in our personal lives, in our families, with addictions, with things that we face in the workplace, God, we need a Savior. But, Lord, we, we understand the blessing we have been given to be in this country. And the reality is, is that we can proclaim your name and, and receive a little persecution for it, Lord. But there are others around this world that are being killed. They're being tortured. Their lives are being taken. 
for professing your name. And God, I thank you that yes, you are the God of us in this place. You are the same God for them where they are at, Lord. And your grace and your strength and your love is so present in those times. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen for yourself a body of believers that can stand even in the midst of the darkest trials of this earth and not be shaken because they stand on the reality of who you are. Lord, I pray for you to strengthen your church across this earth. I pray for your love to flow into those places where people just feel like they have nothing else. And God, for you to just continue to grow for yourself a people that proclaim your name, that live out the reality of your glory on this earth, and that we can just lift your name high. Lord, be lifted high in this place of head of this church. Be lifted high in the places of this earth where your name is proclaimed all over this globe. We give you the glory this morning. And I pray, Lord, as our kids go to the kids' church, that you would speak to them intentionally, that your spirit would lead them and raise them into being sons and daughters of the King, Lord, and that you'd be glorified in those, in those rooms. Give strength and wisdom to our teachers. In Jesus' name, amen. You can bring your kids to the kids' church at this time. Uh, we do need one helper in the nursery and one helper in the preschool, so if that's something you can help us with, you can go find Tanya, and she can connect you with those places. Thank you for being here. God bless.
Thanks, buddy. I know that's heavy. <laughs> Thank you, worship team. That's pretty powerful there. Oh, wow. Now, see, I'm three minutes late getting started. That means Eric has sinned. Um, Wow, yeah, we got to move on. I, I really got off track. I, I kind of had an idea how long this message was going to take. I thought it was going to be 30 minutes, half time. So I kind of took my time through the middle of it during the first service and really was cramming at the end, and it was really kind of terrible. But I'll try to avoid that this time. Um, let's take up the offering. Father, thank you, God, that we can sow into your kingdom and actually reap as well, Lord. And so let our finances, let each person in here, Lord, let our finances be tied in with the kingdom that cannot be shaken, Lord. So we give to that purpose that your kingdom be established here in this city in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to do my best this morning to do something I've never done before, at least in the first quarter of this message, and that is uh, preach ex, uh, in, a, in an expository way with some verses. So uh, here we go. Um, I'm looking at First Thessalonians 5, 12 through 25, and there's a subtitle in my Bible that says Christian Conduct. And when you read a scripture, you know, you probably all heard that it's important to always keep 
that scripture in context. But I want to tell you this morning that whenever you read a scripture, the context is the entire Bible. And when you're, especially when you're reading in the New Testament, you must put the context in within the New Covenant, the New Testament. So with that in mind, um, I want to read these verses, but one thing I don't want to happen to you that happened to me as a young Christian um, was it was kind of like, okay, you receive Jesus, you're saved, your sins are forgiven. Now, what you need to do is attend church, pay your tithes, and try to keep all the rules. And if you sin, try harder. And, and I just want to say it's a recipe for disaster. It's a, it's a recipe for failure. And I hope that you'll get something out of this message today. It'll make that clear to you. I, in the, my first years of walking with Jesus, um, I must have heard, it seemed like, remembering back, it seemed like almost every message had these three words in it. You need to. You need to. And, and that's when, when you have that sense of you need to, and you're not relying upon the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit within you, you are in legalistic bondage. And you will fail in your walk, and you will suffer greatly uh, as a result. So let's look at these verses. Uh, beginning in verse 12. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Now, I have three pastors that, that are over me in the Lord, Okay. And we, we, in the beginning of 2015, when we started this new beginning of Friends Church, we decided that we would operate uh, in, in, uh, within the bounds of two words. The first word was preference. And I, I want to read Philippians 2.3 because I believe it, it sort of gives the definition. It says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as important or as more important than yourselves. And the second word that we determined that we would relate to one another was the word deference. And it means a respectful but with courteous regard, submission or yielding to the judgment, opinion, or will of another. And the thing of it is, is that we all have areas of expertise. We all have spheres of ministry and strength and wisdom. And, of course, those spheres are, are greatly divergent. And so and, uh, I might illustrate it this way. An architect, when seeking counseling, would defer to the opinions and, and uh, uh, understanding of a psychologist, whereas a psychologist would defer to the architect when building his own home, Okay. And, and so there are spheres that we are more or less uh, uh, greater skilled and gifted in, and so we defer to one another, and we all have that relationship, okay? 
And then it says in verse 14, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. And then it says, see that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. This is really a powerful verse, and, and I think could, we could all meditate uh, on this and, and, and get a lot out of it. Uh, one of the things that is involved in this is forgiveness, that we don't seek revenge. We don't seek to take matters into our hands, our own hands. We lean not upon our own understanding, but we trust in the Lord with all of our heart. And, and so we relinquish that right uh, in our own minds of, of correcting something or judging someone or uh, uh, criticizing them or coming against them in some way or another. And instead, we always seek after that which is good for one another. I'm reminded of the verse, it's Acts 10.38, where it says, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And, and so there's, you know, all of this, uh, as we read further here, we'll see that all of these admonitions are really prescriptions for uh, outstanding mental health. And so we need to incorporate this, these things into our thinking but at the same time, we have to realize that all, everything that God requires, he supplies by his spirit. And that's what the word of grace, that's what the gospel of grace is all about. Religion puts the heavy load on your back. Religion, it, it, it's like a yoke of bondage. But grace lifts that yoke. And Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that's because of the divine enabling power of his spirit that works in us. Then it says, rejoice always. Rejoice always. You know, speaking of good mental health, um, they're, they're doing studies now in which they are linking your mental state with your physical health. And they're saying that over 75% of all physical disease is caused by toxic thinking. That there's a connection in what's going on up here with what's going on in your body. And so rejoice always. And then verse 17, pray without ceasing. And when I think of this, I think praying with unflagging resolve in spite of circumstances in spite of whatever you're going through, that you're in the secret place and you're locked down and you're like that widow that's going before the judge and she refuses to quit. She refuses to give up. And sometimes that's what it takes. You have to continue on. You have to make your life a life of prayer. And you'll see good success. And your heart will be uh, strengthened. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. In everything, in everything, not for everything, but in everything, in every circumstance. 
You know, when you're going through a tough time, it's that it's difficult to be thankful, but sometimes you got to wake up in the morning, you got to maybe write a list of everything that you can be thankful for, and then everything that you can rejoice about. And certainly, we can all rejoice in our salvation. We can all rejoice in the fact that we have a relationship with God that is eternal. That we have the power of the Holy Spirit. That our sins are cleansed. That we're made righteous. And, and God has given us a destiny and a purpose. And then it says, do not quench the Spirit. In other words, we need to have passion. We need to be full of zeal and energy for God. And it's important that we don't quench the spirit, not only within ourselves, but within others. That we're encouraging one another. We're doing good for one another. We're believing for one another. And we're full of the fire of God. It means to it, don't extinguish that fire. It reminds me of a verse in... Uh, uh, First or Second Timothy one six it says, For this reason I remind you, kindle afresh, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So so Paul is exhorting Timothy, there was something that was deposited within you, and each one of us have a deposit of God. And in and even we'll even receive more deposits of God. And we're to fan the flames of those things that God has put within us. Those desires that are of Him. Fan the flame. Do not let anything extinguish your fire. And then he says, And do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good. Now I'm going to read you a quote from the New International Greek Testament Commentary. So you don't think that, well, this is just Floyd, and that's what he believes, okay? But he says in there, in 1 Corinthians 14.1, it says, Earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And he makes this comment. It is apparent that Paul placed a high value on prophecy in the life of the church. The revelation given to a person who prophesied what primarily intended for edification, exhortation, and encouragement of the Christian community. To treat prophetic utterances as of no account was to refuse to listen to God's word and God's will for the community. Paul qualifies his directive not to despise prophecy in verse 21 to prevent any possible abuse of prophecy in the church assembly. So he encourages us to prophesy. He encourages us to have prophetic utterances. And then he says, but examine them. Don't just accept everything anyone says to you. But the point is that we can be greatly benefited. And I myself have been greatly benefited in the, in the past. I was in a situation, I don't have time to go into it, but for three and a half years, I was in a very low Valley, And it was a prophetic utterance given to me by uh, uh, another uh, brother in the Lord that pulled me up and delivered me from my own deceptions and set me on, I mean, really set me on fire for Jesus all over again. And so we can be greatly benefited 
by the prophetic gift. Paul was, and we are as well. Then he says, abstain from every form of evil. Abstain from every form of evil. And, and speaking of, of reading Scripture in context, throughout the Scriptures, and in, in when we see these admonitions, these exhortations, these directives, we will also see Scriptures that will balance those words with the grace of God. And that's exactly what happens here in verse 23 and 24, where it says, Now may the God of peace... The God of all well-being himself sanctify you entirely. That means make you holy. May the God of peace make you holy. And may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. Faithful is he who calls you. He also will bring it to pass. So all of, this, all of these words that have been spoken as directives and exhortations are in fact brought to pass by God himself in you and through you. You know, when I say reading the scriptures in context, and in the context, you know, we have these verses which are right here nearby the the directives that we're reading, but we also have the context of other verses and other books. For example, uh, Philippians 2.13, where it says, God is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. In other words, whatever is required is supplied through our union and our, our faith in Christ. He said in Galatians 3.3, Having begun in the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? In other words, having begun in the rest of God, the Spirit of God is producing the fruit and every good thing that He requires of me. Am I going to turn from that and now out of my own self-effort and discipline try to live the Christian life? It's possible to do that. It's possible to to go back and forth. But when you are in faith, when you are believing, when you are in union, when you are in that close uh, proximity of God in prayer and the incense of God is is all around you and, and the presence of God is in you, you have faith and you begin to produce the fruit and the works of God. This is just, this is just good Bible doctrine, okay? I love it that the, the gospel gives us everything up front. And what I mean by that is the day that you are born again, the day that you receive Jesus Christ, you receive all of the benefits of the cross, the blood, the offering of the body of Jesus, the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and seating at the right hand of the Father. You are forgiven, cleansed by the blood, purified, sanctified, made righteous and holy by the offering of the body of Jesus. We are crucified with him. The old nature is cut out and buried. We are raised up in resurrection power of the Holy Spirit, given a new heart and a new spirit, made new creations in Christ, transferred from his from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, ascended far above all principality and power and seated at the right hand of God. We are joined 
to Christ in union with him that we might co-labor with him and bear fruit unto God. And the only thing that is necessary after all of that happens the first day that you enter God's kingdom is a revelation of all that he's done for you. It's an ongoing path of discovery that we're on. And we're in this together. And so you pray for your pastors. You pray for each other. You pray for yourself that we might be given the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus and all that he has achieved for us. That the eyes of our understanding might be enlightened, that we might know the hope of his calling and the glory of the riches of his inheritance in the saints, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand. All of that power of resurrection has to be uh, uh, understood and perceived by revelation and received by faith. The Bible is a treasure map. It guides us. It directs us into our union with God through Jesus Christ, culminating in a personal, intimate, and experiential love relationship with our Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. The scriptures keep us on this path, define the path, and the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. 1 Timothy 1.5 says, This is the goal of our instruction. You want to know what the goal of all this instruction is? This is the goal of our instruction. Love from a pure heart. Love relationship with God and with each other. And a good conscience. A good conscience so that you're unhindered. You're unencumbered, and you can fly high. And a sincere faith, you're free. You have victory. You have a sense of triumph. He says that that Jesus always leads us in his triumph. We have a sense of purpose and destiny, and the plan of God is beginning to unfold before us. We begin to sense that there's nothing that is not possible with God. And there's a rest that comes into our hearts. You know, one of the things I I taught a class last week, my 301 class, and I asked the class this question. If you were to choose, would you choose to understand completely and totally this book? In other words, all the typology, all of the symbols, all of the doctrines, all, all of the, the uh, history, the, the cultural context, the chronology, everything about the scriptures, or would you choose to have a deep, profound, personal, intimate, and experiential relationship with God? You see, this is a signpost but, but what can happen is we can make our knowledge of this our goal. When in fact, the scriptures are pointing us to God himself and our union and relationship through Jesus Christ. And I can tell you that I, I know people who have great, incredible theological knowledge 
but do not even come close to others who have much less theological knowledge but have that personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. And you can tell by the love that is expressed. So now I want to look at, for a minute, I want to look at... um, I go backward here. I want to look at the vision of Friends Church just for a couple of minutes here. And um, I want to point out some things that are very important in understanding this. And I have learned so much through this vision. I really have. And I've seen it. I've seen it throughout the scriptures, just repeated over and over. And I want you to know, well, let's, let's look at the vision. What is the vision? Uh, the the, the uh, short version is calling the church to know God, know each other, and equip the saints to make him known. So know God, know each other, and make him known. And I want you to know that, that two very important elements of this vision. Number one, these things are in order. They are sequential. You must go one, two, three. You can't go one, three, two, or three, two, one, or anything like that. They are sequential, and they are in the order of priority as well. And, and what we start out with is knowing God. And what is, what is that? It is, a, it is directly connected to the great commandment. And making him known is the great commission. So we start out with the great commandment and we end in the great commission. And, and in regard to the great commandment, I just wrote out uh, some, some, uh, some of the elements of our relationship with God. First of all, that it is personal, intimate, and experiential. It's about our union with Him. It's about having the capacity by the Holy Spirit to see and to hear and to commune and communicate, to not only talk to God, but to hear God's voice. It's, it's a, it's, that is what uh, that communication does. It, it develops our relationship with God. It said about Jesus in Mark 135 that he got up before dawn while it was still dark, and he went out into a solitary place to meet with his father. And so, secondly, it's to receive love. We don't love God. Give it up. You don't love God unless God puts his love within you. That's the love that the Bible talks about. That's the love that we have for him. It comes from him. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, Romans 5.5. Thirdly, identity. God himself calls you. God himself lets you know who you really are, which is primarily sons and daughters of God. And I could go into the many aspects of our identity in Christ. But we receive our identity from him in a personal way through prayer. Four, the grace of God, that we have the unmerited, unearned, and undeserved gift of righteousness. So important. Receive the gift of righteousness. If you don't know Jesus today, you will never get to a relationship, a proper relationship with God through trying to straighten out your life. That comes after the fact. Receive the gift of righteousness by putting your faith in Jesus. 
and then, and then uh, receiving not only his righteousness, the gift of righteousness, but also the gift of the Holy Spirit. Awesome. You receive Jesus. You receive his righteousness and his power in you. And that's when your life changes. You don't change your life before you come to him. You change your life because of him. And then, and then um, number five here, dreams and visions. You begin to get a sense of destiny. You get an eternal perspective that comes. You begin to realize that nothing is impossible because of his grace and because of his favor that is upon your life. And then secondly, then secondly, we know each other. What, is that, what does that entail? It's a corporate thing. We receive the love of God. We express the love of God to one another. We give His love, the love that we receive from Him, we give to each other. There's a recognition, number two, that Christ is in you and you are in Him. And we don't see each other the same way any longer. Number three, we value each other. We express value because I look at you and I see that God has deposited treasure within you. And you're not just the the human being that I see on the surface, but there's great treasure within you. And that we are all necessary and interdependent. It's not like we're all renaissance people. We can understand it all, be it all, do it all. No, no, no. God hasn't designed it that way. We depend upon one another and receive from one another. Number four, confirmation. We affirm, we speak, we declare God's identity upon each other. It's an affirmation. You receive it first from God. And then when somebody else, another brother or sister, begins to affirm you in that, it just solidifies it all the more. Your own value, your own sonship, your own uh, 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 place in Christ. And then finally, number five, place and part. And it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 18, God has placed the members, each one of them, just as he desired. It means that you're not climbing a spiritual ladder trying to attain things. It's a gift of God. And God places you in the body as he desires. And so there's no competition in that because you are who you are and I, I'm, I am who I am because this is what God has made me to be. And the best thing that I can do for you is to release you and to believe you to become all that God has called you to be. And that's how we know one another. And then finally we get to the Great Commission, being equipped to make him known. And that's where you begin to realize, church, understand this. You are in full-time ministry. You are not called to be consumers. You're not spectators. You're not an audience to come and see a show. You are the show. You are on the field. You are my teammates. And the sooner you grasp that, the sooner you will, you will understand that you are disciples of Christ, that you are to be equipped, activated, commissioned, and sent out. 
You have a, number two, you have a calling. We are all on this path of discovery, and we all have areas of expertise. You might, you might be involved in hospitality or healing or administration or teaching, any number of a thousand different things. But it's all the gift of God. It's all the call of God in your life. And then development. You all have gifts, talents, skills, and ability. And, and, and you are to be perfectly fitted and thoroughly equipped in your ministry. It says in Ephesians 4 that God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the work, for, for the, excuse me, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And, and I'm going to shorten this, but it says, until we all come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Until there's a full-on expression of Christ in the earth, we're still in the equipping and building up stage. And it says in, in further on, it goes, Jesus is the head of this body from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by every joint by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. What that means is that each individual part needs to be working properly. And as those parts come together in an area, a sphere, let's say, you know, like foster care, some other area, a prayer, a healing, anything. They, there are people that are drawn into the same sphere. And what happens is they create joints. They come together and they're molded together into a, 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 like a special team's unit. And as that happens, there is a supply of God that's released so that the body ends up building itself up in love. Okay. Now we're going to shift gears just a little bit. One thing that we have to understand, like I said, is that these three things, know God, know each other, and make him known, are in sequence and in order of priority. And 1 Corinthians 13 helps us to understand that what you cannot take part three over here and move it up into a higher place like number two. And so it says, if I speak with the tongue of men's and angels and do not have love, I become a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy, know all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give my possession to feed the poor and I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. We're talking about his love. And I'm going to get into something here in a minute. Um, that I think, I think it's going to stick with you because it has me. But I want you to see here, he's, he's comparing two values. Gifts are valuable. Knowledge is valuable. Prophecy is valuable. Uh, an ability to speak by the anointing of God is valuable. But if you don't have love, which is more valuable, you have nothing. Some of us need to read this every day for the next couple of years. Now, I want to talk to you about matrix. 
Don't everybody start laughing, because I, I get plenty of that. Matrix, you know, the movie The Matrix, the world system, that's what I'm talking about. And I want to take you somewhere here in just a minute, but I have to, I have to kind of set it up. What is the matrix? What is this world system that we are all uh, uh, en uh, uh, encompassed about with? What is it? It's a system that tells you what you need to be, how you need to look, what you need to have, and what you need to do to be significant and valued. That's basically it. It was designed to fill the void. Now listen to this. Listen carefully. It was designed to fill the void that was created by the broken relationship that occurred in the Garden of Eden. And what happened there was that the relationship was broken between God and man. And as a result, man has had since then a huge love deficit. And this system was created as an artificial uh, uh, replacement for that deficit. It's a world system designed, constructed, constructed, and managed by the kingdom of darkness, and to a large degree, it has defined and shaped us into the people we are today. It determines your worth, status, identity, and potential. It is a pyramidal structure that is not only the source, but also sustains and supports the, what I call the humanistic, natural, carnal, religious, earthbound matrix mindset. It is completely performance-driven. In other words, you might get your sense of value and significance from your career, from your, your degrees, the, the things you own, your, your house, your car, your airplane, your home, your your income, your education, uh, your, the, the job you have, the position you have, all of those things are designed to fill the love deficit. Now, I'm going to show you something that I did this week. There it is. <laughs> so, now, if you don't know, that's... Uh, that's that's Neo and Morpheus and Trinity and the Matrix, the movie, and, and obviously that handsome guy right in front is me. Um, but, but the interesting thing was that when I did this, I could not, I just put that up there and I thought, oh, that'll be fun. But I got, I, listen, I, I wrote as a caption of this, I said, wow, I don't do Facebook, but now I realize it's the place to go for attention. Man, I got all these comments, and I was like, I am so popular. Yes. So I thought, I'm cool. I'm brilliant. I'm witty. I'm creative. I'm good looking, and here I am being great, having a great time, creating a great image of myself, being noticed, recognized, admired, praised by great people, and having great thoughts that you all must be very interested in knowing about. And I hope that you will continue to give me all, lots of attention so that I can feel important, valued, and significant. <laughs> now, it's, it's kind of a joke, but 
man, there's some truth in this because, you know, even as pastors, I mean, I know, listen, I've been around and I know there is a ton of pastors out there who are completely performance driven. It's how big is your church and how well do you preach and how, what a hero you are in the congregation and all that kind of stuff. And, and here's the thing. It's about brain chemistry management. It's about when you get those accolades coming on in, it's like, oh, that feels good. I like that. And your brain, for whatever reason, produces this euphoric feeling. And you go, now listen, you start to go, I like, uh, if it's coming from over here, I start turning over here and I start moving toward that thing. And it's like, I'm drawn to that and I want more of that. And it's just... You know, the, the church can be just like Facebook. You just put the stuff out there and you get all this that you get, garner in. And, and I mean, pretty soon what's going on there is that you are no longer being led by the spirit. You're being led by the chemistry. Does that make sense to you? And so I want to talk, yeah, Turkish Delights. I want to talk to you about the matrix mindset in the church. And it's when individuals seek love, significance, and value via their knowledge, wisdom, their title, their position, their giftedness, their degrees, talents, even their sacrifice. In other words, their ministries. It's system-oriented more than organizational. It's, it's institutional rather than organic. It's hierarchical. In other words, there's superiority and inferiority and rank, and it's performance-driven. And really, the scriptures talk a lot about it. It's when the matrix mindset has infiltrated the church. And, And so I wrote this down. It's when an individual seeks their sense of value through their ministry performance. Ministry then becomes the means to love and significance. It's no different than Facebook. So many seek recognition for their giftedness and spirituality. It's like they want you to know how much they know. You, you meet them, they're constantly telling you how much they know, how gifted they are, how talented they are. They're hoping to obtain a sense of value from you. And this is when, this is what's happening is, it's know God, know each other, make him known. But what this ministry thing comes over here. It comes, it, it's a reverse flow. It needs to come from here. Instead, the person is using this ministry and giftedness to try and receive their identity, value, and love that you can only get from the Father. And so, sadly... You cannot have genuine love relationship based on impressing others with your giftedness. Now, you understand that the the world has this same type of organization and, and, and function and flow, and so we're just taking that and placing it like a like a transparency over the church. And so my effort to receive your praise actually blocks the relationship. And so anyone with this type of thing operating through them, it ends up being unloved, unsatisfied, 
and having no rest because you're on this treadmill of performance. And, you, and, you're, and you're trying to do something that the, it doesn't work that way in the kingdom. This is what Jesus was doing. It, it's actually kind of a spirit of religion. And, and, and when Jesus was talking in the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew 6, he was exposing and dismantling this thing because it was a, it was a huge stronghold when he was walking the earth. It was a huge stronghold in Israel. It was manifesting all over the place. And so he said, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand in the synagogue and on the street corner so that they may be seen by men. But when you pray, go into your inner room and close the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret uh, what is done in secret will reward you. There's a secret place life in, in knowing God that has to be your source of satisfaction, your, so, your source of love, your source of value. Out of that, you give. And so ministry is just, in the, it's like the icing on the cake. It is not the core. It's not where you find your core value. Now listen, this word can set you free. And I want to tell you, I've, I have found, I mean, I, I worked here at this church for 20 plus years and, and I, I wasn't in the pulpit and, and I was like, I was kind of in the background and because of that, I think God just kind of drained me so much of a lot of this and I know like there was a point where I, I thought I was going to be out of the ministry or, or the, the, the ministry that I was in anyway and it was like, okay I don't need to be up here, I'm serious, I do not be, need to be up here impressing you to be happy to feel satisfied. I, I tell you the truth. And it's an awesome, awesome freedom to be able to say that and mean it. Now, I'm going to give you one example, and, and we'll close here in a minute. But um, there are many examples that I could give you right now, but this is just pretty simple. It's the story of Martha and Mary. And it says in Luke 10... Now as they were traveling along, he, Jesus, entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home, and she had a sister called Mary. Now listen to what Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word, seated at his feet. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came to him, she came to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her to help me. And the Lord answered and said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only a few things are necessary, really only one. Mary has discovered the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now here you have contrasted two women. One woman is seated at the feet of Jesus listening to his word. The other is, is running around the house trying to serve all the people that have come into the house. And, and I think you can get a sense of, of Martha's concern about her own reputation, about what do people think of me. 
I, I need, to, I need to, to demonstrate my giftedness, my expertise, my administrative abilities here. And I'm, I'm coming up short and I need help. And so then, then she's, she's frustrated. She's resentful. She's divisive. And she's people-pleasing. And so in other words, she's, a, she's really in bondage to this thing. Because if she succeeds, she's like inflated. If, she's, if she fails, she's deflated. And that's what happens when ministry becomes your identity. And I'm not only talking about ministry. I'm talking about, hey, you're a businessman. How successful are you? I mean, it, it, how educated are you? All the other things that are, are part of the matrix. But I want to tell you, God's speaking to this, this word to you today to set you free. And to let you know that it is entirely possible to live without this enslavement. Okay? Amen. Father, I thank you. And I pray, God, that your word would descend and it would distill upon our hearts like dew. And there would be an enormous release of freedom in this place. And that God, the striving, would come to an end. And the worry and the self-preservation, God, would come to an end. And we would all come to a place like Mary, seated, resting, listening to you, hearing from you words, hearing from you your voice speaking into our hearts. And that our secret place life with you would be the total and complete satisfaction of our hearts. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Thank you very much.